This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And as we move into the month of August, it is August 1st, by the way, we're going to begin a new series as we get ready to close out the summer season and move into fall. And as we're beginning to reestablish ministries here at West Concord Baptist Church, we wanted to take some time to focus on prayer. Because prayer is that power. Prayer is that motivator that we need to bring our ministry to God and lift it before Him. I've entitled this series, Person to Person. Because that's actually what prayer is. It's communication person to person with God. And prayer is one of those resources that we overlook and we don't utilize enough of. I mean, you've been like me. You've gone home and maybe you were getting ready to perform some chore at home, whether it was out in the workshop or in the house. Maybe you're going to get your bandsaw out and do some sawing. Maybe you're going to get your vacuum cleaner out and do some vacuuming. Maybe you're going to sit back and turn your TV on and relax. And you get ready to do that, you flip the on switch with whatever whatever device you're wanting to use, and nothing happens. Isn't that frustrating? You flip the on switch and nothing happens. And so you turn it off and on a couple of times, because that's supposed to fix everything, right? And you turn it off and on, nothing happens. And you get up and you start huffing and you start puffing and you start storming and stomping. And where is the owner's manual? Who did? And you get all bent out of shape and you realize it's not plugged in. Have you done that before? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I have. And it's frustrating. And that's the whole idea of trying to live the Christian life, trying to do ministry, trying to honor God, trying to walk with Christ. And we do it without plugging in. And we try to do this thing on our own without seeking God's face. But prayer in the walk with Christ is essential. Prayer in ministry is essential. So through the month of August, we're going to be talking about prayer. The last Sunday in August, we're going to have a special church-wide prayer event as we move into fall. But I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great theologian, pastor, and writer, had this to say about prayer. He said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Did you hear that? Prayer beyond question is the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees, he comes face to face with God. And that is true now today as it was when Martin Lloyd-Jones said it many years ago. As a matter of fact, when we're children, if you've been in church for any length of time, when we were children, weren't you taught God's phone number? Y'all remember what God's phone number is, Jeremiah 33.3. And here it is. He says this, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. 
This is a promise from God. And so that's why we tell children that's God's phone number and we get them to memorize that verse because it's our privilege to be able to call upon God person to person. As a matter of fact, it amazes me that God gives us the opportunity and the ability to do that. That we can go to Him and that He listens to us. You know, how many of you during these times of unrest and confusion and political strife, how many of you would love to be able to pick up the telephone and call the President of the United States directly? Give him a piece of your mind. Tell him what he needs to do. Share with him the situation. But you can't do that, can you? But you know what? You can get on your knees at any time and connect directly with the creator and sustainer of the universe. If that doesn't just make you amazed and blow your mind, then you've become too jaded. The fact that we, through Jesus Christ, have a direct connection to God. That we can go to Him anytime. We don't have to go through a switchboard. We don't have to go through a recorded voice. Don't you hate those? Seems like every time I have to call my insurance company, my doctor's office, the auto place where you get your car fixed, you have to go through, if you're calling, please hit one for this. Please hit two for that. Please hold. Your call is very important to us. If it were very important to you, you'd pick it up, okay? Well, you don't go through that with God. You and I can go directly to God. And it's interesting because of all the things available to us and of all the things that God grants us and gives us, prayer is the most easy to get a hold of. And yet, how often do we just push it by, pass it by? We can go days, maybe weeks, maybe months without thinking of praying. And yet we fret, we worry, we struggle, we stumble and wonder why. Ray Steadman defined prayer this way. As I said before, it's a connection. Person to person, he says this. Prayer basically is simply a conversation with God. That's what prayer is. It's talking with God. Just like you would pick up your telephone and talk to somebody. It's a conversation with God. There are always only two people represented in true prayer, and, which is basically you and God. And no one else. When you pray, when you talk to God, it's you and God. Now others may be present. Just like this morning, there could be a hundred people or there could be hundreds of people. He goes on to say, but real prayer is always a conversation directly between a single human being and God himself. Prayer is person-to-person communication. Prayer is from you, a person, to the person of our Heavenly Father. Again, let that sink in. Because quite frankly, I think the church in America today is missing that point. And we need to grab that resource back again. We need to utilize it, hold it, I think the reason why Vacation Bible School was such a success is we had so many people praying for it. We had so many people lifting it up. 
So this morning, we're going to begin this series, and we're going to go all the way back. You know, it's fitting that the stage is still decorated because of the archaeological theme, because we're going to go back in time a little bit this morning. We're going to do a little bit more digging, and we're going to go all the way back to the early time, the early book of Genesis, to find out when exactly prayer began. When did people begin to really pray in earnest? That's what we're going to look for, and we're going to see why they did as well. So before we jump into the Word, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we are just rejoicing over the great week that we've had. I know people are tired, people are worn out, but Father, it's a good tired. It's a tired that, Lord, resonates throughout all eternity because the work that was done was for eternity. Father, we were able to teach children, students, and adults your timeless word. Father, rather than sitting in front of a television screen, a phone screen, a tablet screen, being flooded with the garbage of the world, Lord, they were able to sit and listen to truth, love, and grace. Father, thank you for those who are tired this morning. Thank you for those who so graciously gave, and Lord, as this will bless the ministry in India. But now, Lord, we move ahead with our own ministry. We have our students going to Snowbird as we all get ready to go back to school and our, our folks come back from vacations and rest. And Father, we begin to move forward, Lord. We just pray, Lord, and we pray for this ministry that we might continue better than ever to be a lighthouse for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless us as we open your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and join me in Genesis chapter 4. All the way back into Genesis chapter 4. I told you we're going way back. We're going way back to the primordial time of human existence. To the very first families that came to this planet after God had created them from the dust of the earth. And we're going to talk about prayer and where prayer began and why people began to pray. Who began to pray? Now, oftentimes in this subject, people will go to Genesis chapter 3. When God came to Adam and Eve after they had fallen in the garden. And I guess you can call that prayer. But what I wanted to do is really focus on when society began to call upon God. And we're going to look at four different men this morning. Four different men as we get into chapter 4 of Genesis... And we're going to see how society began to, to, to become what it is today. Again, Genesis is the book of beginnings. The word Genesis is a Greek word, actually, that was given to this Hebrew book when it was translated from Hebrew into the Greek, and Genesis is Greek for beginnings. The Hebrew title of the, uh, of the book of Genesis is the very first few words. That's how the Jews titled their Old Testament books. They always titled them by words in the first sentence. And the very first words in the book of Genesis, which in English is in the beginning, in Hebrew it's Bereshith. Bereshith, which means in the beginning. And so Genesis, if you want to know why things are the way they are and how things started, go to the book of Genesis. So we're going to look at prayer. In chapter 4, we see four men. We're going to pick it up in verse 16, and we're going to see one man, and y'all are familiar with him if you've been around a while, and this would be Cain, of Cain and Abel fame. You remember the story. Cain and Abel, the first two offspring of Adam and Eve, the original parents. 
Cain and Abel who were directed to provide a gift to God. And Abel provided God a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. He provided something that he did not create or make, but he gave God the glory by glorifying God in his creation. Whereas Cain wanted to prove what a great man he was and provided the work of his own hands. There's a little message of salvation in there. Well, God approved Abel's gift, but not Cain's, and Cain got mad. And Cain committed the first murder, struck his brother down dead. You can read that whole story in the first part of chapter 4. Struck his brother dead. Cain committed the first murder. Because Adam and Eve had actually introduced sin into humanity. So naturally, when there is sin, when there is selfishness, when there is pride, violence follows. This is what happened. Go to James 4. You can check it out there too. But in, in chapter 4 of Genesis, we pick it up with Cain, the first murderer. And God had pronounced a, a, a judgment upon Cain, told him now because you've done this, because you've rejected me, you will now wander all over the earth. You'll be a vagabond. If you try to farm, the, the farms aren't going to work. The land is not going to respond to you. But God said, I'll put a mark on you, however, because there are going to be people who are going to want to have vengeance against you when they find out because the world's a mess now. And so whatever mark he put on him, he put on him a mark, and then Cain went off and left and began to wander. And we pick it up in verse 16 of chapter 4. And it says, Then Cain, notice this next line. This is what picks up the whole thing. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That is pregnant with theology. Cain went out from the presence with the, of the Lord. He was done with God. And as we see Cain, we see that he first left the worship of God, the worship of the Lord. No longer was he giving glory to what should have been the center of his universe. Instead, he became the center. And understand this, God is everywhere present. So wherever Cain went, he still could have been before God. But in his heart, he left God. He was done. No more worship. Not only that, but he also lived without the Lord. Cain decided he was going to move out on his own. He became the paragon, the example, the model of godlessness. He became the example, the paragon of godlessness because he left the worship of the Lord. He left the presence of the Lord. He lived without the Lord. Look what it says. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. The word Nod from the Hebrew literally means wandering. Wandering. So he finally found a place to settle down, but even then his soul was at unrest. It was, it was in turmoil. And he called the place Nod or wandering. It's east of Eden. And then it says, And Cain knew his wife. What wife? This is where skeptics like to have a little party. Oh, see the Bible. How did Cain get a wife? There was only Cain and Abel. How did he get a wife? Well, here's the simple answer. By this time, of course, Cain and Abel were adults. And Adam and Eve had many, many more children after them. And he found a sister. You say, whoa, 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 sister. Well, this is when humanity was first created and the gene pool was unpolluted as yet. And this was the only way the human race was going to propagate itself. 
But by the time you come to Moses and the books of the law, incest would then be a sin because of sin's effect on humanity. So this is not a stretch. This is not some problem with the Bible. There are probably many people at the time and Cain and Abel were there and Abel was killed, but Cain married a, a sister. And for the first little while, this was okay until humanity began to digress because of sin. By Moses' time, it was called a sin. And so it says, and Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. There are two Enochs mentioned in scripture. This is one earlier version. And it says, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and to Erod begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methushael, and Methushael begat Lamech. So Cain, the paragon of godly, godlessness, he walked away from God. He walked out of the presence of the Lord. No more worshiping the Lord. No more life with the Lord. He was going out on his own. He was mad. He was upset. He was in full-on rebellion against God. And so Cain became the progenitor of the godless culture. He became the head, the, the start of the godless culture that even exists today. Can trace its line back to Cain. And the first characteristics of this is God no longer is their center. He's no longer the focus of their life. No more worshiping God. And they move on without God. So that is Cain, the paragon of godlessness. Then we move on to his, 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 his progeny, a man by the name of Lamech. Lamech. As we pick it up in verse 19, whereas Cain was the paragon or the model of godlessness, Lamech became and demonstrated the paradox of godlessness. A paradox is when something doesn't seem right. Two things seem to be existing at the same time, but completely opposite. And here, when humanity was still fresh and new, this man, Lamech, is raised up within this godless culture. And we see that he was a man who rejected God's guidance. Lamech rejected God's guidance completely, and you see it in the very first line of verse 19. It says, Then Lamech took for himself two wives. When God created Adam and Eve, he said, Therefore shall a man leave his mother and take his wife and cleave unto her, and they shall become one flesh. God's original pattern for human sexuality and marriage is a marriage relationship, a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And so Lamech is the first one to deviate from that. And so because he deviated from God's plan, you could say he was a deviant. And he became the father of deviants. And he deviated from God's plan. He didn't care about God's guidance. He didn't listen to God's word. He was going to do it his own way. So he took for himself two wives, verse 19. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwelt in tents, and, had, and they had livestock. His brother was named Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman 
in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. So they begin to establish this culture. They begin to establish a civilization, but it was a godless civilization. And there was a paradox there because you see Lamech, he was a man of deviance, but not only that, he was a man of violence because look in verse 23. It says, then Lamech said to his wives, he said, Ada and Zillah, hear my words. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me. I've killed a man for wounding me. The word killed there speaks of almost a boastful brag about slaughter. He was bragging, he was announcing, every young man, even a young man rather, for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. Seventy-sevenfold rather. So not only was he deviant, but he was violent. And we see violence popping up. So as you see deviance in our culture, as you see violence going on in our culture, this is where it began. When Cain rejected God. Cain could have sought forgiveness from God. Cain could have sought restoration from God, but he didn't. He just said, enough. And he walked away from the Lord. Never again to look back. He did it his way. And Lamech carried on the tradition. What made it paradoxical is back over in verse, uh, verses uh, 21 and 22. Because while the culture re rejected God, I want you to know that the paradox of godlessness is they created a world that reflected God's gifts. They rejected God's grace and presence but they reflected still God's gifts, the talents. You had Jubal who created music and was the father of music. You had Jabal who was the herdsman and, and they, they moved about in tents and they took care of herds and, and they worked the land. And Tubal came who was an artisan in metals. Talent, creativity, intelligence. People think back in early humanity, people were like the Flintstones, okay? They weren't real bright that Ugg would just take his club, go out and whack his woman and carry her into the cave. It's, it's not that way. That they didn't know what fire was or they didn't know what a wheel was. Listen, Adam and Eve were extraordinarily intelligent. Their progeny was extraordinarily gifted and intelligent. Just like even in our culture today, we have gifted athletes. We have gifted singers, actors, celebrities. We have people who are gifted with their hands. They can make wonderful things. Artists. So many gifted people. So many people who are reflecting God's gifts. That's why we get a little conflicted as we go through this world. Because yes, this is a world even still today that is broken, lost, and fallen because of Adam and Eve. We live in a culture today and have ever since the beginning of time that is violent and deviant because of Lamech. But yet it is a culture that, is, that excels and is intelligent. We're entertained. We're amazed. This week is the week of the Olympics. So many gifted young athletes are, are amazing audiences as they, as they perform feats of athletic skill. And we get conflicted because we say, hey, this is pretty cool. But when we look and see Behind the curtain, what's really going on in our world, it causes us to struggle. 
if you have any care about God and the things of God. And so this is what you have. You have Cain, who is the paragon, the model of godlessness. You have Lamech, who came around, and he created a culture, a paradox, if you will, of, yes, wonderful talent, intelligence and excellence, but also of violence and deviance. Isn't that confusing? Is it little wonder that God had to pen through King David's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd? Because you and I need the, the shepherding of God to get through these things. Say, Pastor, what does this have to do with prayer? I'm going to show you in just a second. But you see, you and I need to see uh, the world as it has come together. Where does all of this come from? We call it culture, civilization. Well, as you look in the world and you become mystified, you become confused, where it seems like gifted good people are doing grifting and bad things. And we think, man, alive, how do we sort through all this? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. But how do we engage that shepherd? Well, you see Cain and you see Lamech. But throughout the Old Testament, even from the very beginning, God demonstrates his grace and his love to humanity. Even though humanity, in a sense, was quickly, very quickly, slipping into selfishness, deviance, and violence, sin. What is sin, by the way? Sin is simply missing the mark of God's perfection. It's coming short, drawing short. And that includes all of us, by the way, including me. We all come short. We all fall short. But when people rebel, when people personally and intentionally step away from God, which Cain and Lamech did, and their progeny, you create a culture of godlessness, wherein even gifted and intelligent people can commit acts of violence and absurdity. But God isn't through with humanity yet. Go down with me to verse 25. We see the third man, a man by the name of Seth. Cain was the godly of Cain and Abel. Cain was the one who humbly presented the work of God's hands to glorify God. Cain had his eyes as much as he could as a fallen human on God. In, in, or rather, Abel, I'm sorry. In Abel's offering... Instead of saying, God, look at me, that's what Cain did. Abel was able to say, God, look what you've given me. Look what you've given me. See, that's the whole difference between being saved and not. More often than not, when we think of going to heaven, we get the idea of religion. Religion says, look at me. I'm being good. Look at me. I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Look at me, I'm in church. Look at me, I've been baptized. Look at me, I'm keeping the law. Look at me, I'm a great person. But religion never saves. Human effort never does anything to get you any closer to heaven than just jumping up and down will. 
Whereas Abel's offering, if you go back and read the first of chapter 4, Abel's offering glorified God. God, look what you've done for me. Look what you've given me. And that's what salvation is. Salvation happens when we come to God and look to Him and say, it doesn't matter what I can or cannot do, God. Look what you've done for me in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died on the cross. He took the blame for our sin. He was buried three days later, arose again from the dead. That is what God did for us. God sacrificed. God took on flesh. God experienced death. God was buried. God rose. And when you get saved, you get saved by saying, here God, this is what you've done for me. And that's salvation. You did this for me. That was what Abel did in his sacrifice, but Cain had nothing to do with that. And so he killed Abel. Well, God wasn't done with humanity. It was a second chance time. You know, that's what I love about God. While we're still on this earth and still breathing, God is the God of the second chance. If you don't believe it, just read through the Old Testament. Read through the lives of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. Read through the history of Israel. How God over and over and over again gave them another chance. Even when his own people rebelled against him, even when his own people acted like Cain and Lamech and turned their back upon him, God provided a second chance. Now understand those chances continue until we stop breathing. Because the moment we leave this world, there are no more chances. If you know Christ as your Savior, you spend eternity with God. If you rejected Christ as your Savior and you die in that condition, you spend eternity separated from God. There, are, there is no purgatory. There is no second chance. The Bible nowhere speaks of anything like that. But up until we stop breathing, God gives us chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity. Even when we failed Him, even when we let Him down, even when we mess up, you, you saw a couple of months ago when we talked about on Father's Day the prodigal son who decided to take his inheritance and just run off and live and do whatever he wanted to do. And he got messed up, didn't he? He blew it. But then he decided, listen, my father, I love him and I want to come back to him. And I bring nothing to him. I have nothing to offer him. I've spent it all. I've ruined it all. But I'll just, if I could just be one of his servants, I'll be better off. And so he, he went back and what happened? The father ran to him. Aren't you glad about that? I don't know about you, but I'm glad God is the God of the second and third chance. I'm, God, I'm glad God is always chasing me and making sure I'm where I need to be. So God gives humanity another chance in this individual called Seth. Now Seth continues the idea of the promise of godliness. Look what it says in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. And this is what Eve had to say on Seth's birth. For God has appointed another seed... For me, instead of Abel, 
whom Cain killed. So Seth is now the new promise in place of Abel. In other words, a second seed. A second chance. The book of Romans chapter 5 tells us that for by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, that one man was Adam. And because of Adam, death, separation, sin, selfishness, deviance and violence entered into the world. But Christ is the picture here. Because later in Romans 5, it says there was another man that came along. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who provided a second chance at salvation. Who provided the only chance of salvation. And Seth is that picture. Seth is that type. He is that second seed. He will continue that culture of godliness in the world. You're going somewhere with this, Pastor? Yes, I am. Because this second seed provided a second chance. Another redeeming opportunity for humanity. I read a book not too long ago that said the Old Testament is nothing but law and anger and hate from God. Only the New Testament has grace in it. Folks, that is so untrue. Because if you read the New Testament, there's judgment from God. There are laws that God expects His believers, His followers to keep. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than He did about heaven. And in the Old Testament, yes, there's a lot of anger and law, but there's also a phenomenal amount of grace, unmerited favor. And here it is. God is going to give another chance to humanity to find a stream of godliness through Seth. Born was this man who became a man of God. Another opportunity to get things right. So do you see how God, again, is the God of the second chance? So here we have the second seed, a second chance, the promise of godliness. Even Eve saw this. Can you imagine her heart was grieved for Abel and grieved for Cain that he would do such a thing, that he was a progenitor of a culture, of a civilization that he was founding? That was godless, violent, and defiled. So we see three men thus far. We see Cain, the paragon. We see Lamech, who created the paradox of a great and talented and wondrous world, but also a world condemned and deviant, violent, and messed up. Look around you. This is what we see today. But just like Many eons ago when this story takes place, God is still the God of the second chance. So let's come to our fourth man. It says in verse 26, And as for Seth, to him was also a son was born. And he named him Enosh. Enosh. So there's another son, a fourth man, a man by the name of Enosh. And we see in Enosh the godly line continuing. We see in Enosh the godly family and the godly culture coming up. And we see in Enosh and in his generation something wonderful and unique. And notice this last line of verse 27. 
It says, then men began to what? Call on the name of the Lord. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And this is an interesting phrase. This is where we see what we think of as prayer beginning. Why did it begin? Because the world even then, even in the early days, even when humanity was still fresh, because of rebellion, selflessness, or selfishness, godlessness, and sin, humanity began to fall and stumble. Characterized by ugliness, hatreds, divisions, and violence. And yet God gave humanity a second chance, raised up men of God, people of God, women of God, families of God. And they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Because what else are you going to do when you look around? Let's fast forward millennia to where we are today. We look at the world around us. And it seems like it's getting worse and worse. I've been around a while. I'm still not quite as old as Richard Reed wants me to be, but I've been around a while. <laughs> and please understand, I remember the good old days. You know what's funny about the good old days? They weren't as good as we thought they were. Because the world was a mess then too. I mean, let's just be honest, Selfless, selfishness, godlessness, sin, debauchery, that's been around since Cain, since Lamech, since Adam. But it seems like, and maybe it's because of the information age that we live in, because we can open our pads and get the current news right away. Maybe it's because we can go on social media and see what people actually think about stuff. Sometimes I think it was better before we had the mind-reading capability of Facebook and Instagram. Sometimes I would rather not know what you think about stuff. But now we see all kinds of hatred and ugliness and what breaks my heart as a pastor, and I've said it over and over and I'll continue, when Christianity turns against itself. Because we're allowing the garbage of the culture to creep into what's supposed to be a godly culture in the church. We become political. The church of Jesus Christ in America has begun to divide along political lines. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves for that. Our Savior doesn't live in the White House or the Kremlin or Buckingham Palace. Our Savior is Jesus Christ. Amen. It doesn't matter at the end of the day who is president. What matters is who is the king in your life and mine. Yet we get online and we fuss and we fume, even in this whole COVID thing. You go online, you try to get information from the media, from anybody, and you can't tell what's right or wrong. And the reason why is we've politicized it. To where it seems like everybody now has an agenda. And even if somebody doesn't have an agenda, we don't trust them because we think everybody has an agenda. And we call each other names and we fuss and we fight. And it's not the first time the church has done this. We're just seeing it more because of media. Churches used to split, have been splitting for 2,000 years, getting angry, getting upset. They're not doing it my way, so I'm quitting. People walk away. 
because we're letting the culture of Cain and Lamech bleed into the culture of Seth and Enosh. That's why we need prayer. That's why they began to call upon the name of the Lord, because He was their only hope. He was their only hope. There was no politician that was going to save the day. There was no political party that was going to make things right. There was no amount of money that was going to fix stuff. All they could do was call upon the name of the Lord. And it's an interesting phrase in the Hebrew because that word call literally has a double meaning in the Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word chara, and it means to call upon or to call to. Or to call out. So you can almost say that this is the first time in human history when people began to pray. But you can also say this was the first time people began to evangelize and share the good news about God. They began to call out to God and they began to call out the name of God. They began to share the truth of God to this world that was broken, lost, struggling, all the way from the very beginning. And that's why we must pray. Because right now, our world is in the same condition. Right now, our world is in the same paradoxical thing. We have a world full of gifted, talented, wondrous people who entertain us, who feed us, who make things for us. We have athletes that, that do amazing things. And you know what? An athlete, a movie star, a musician can live a debauched, sinful, horrendous life. And yet because they entertain us, we applaud them and say, hey, they're great. People say, oh, Brother Mike, I only listen to Christian music. Have you looked at Christian musicians lately? By the way, there's no such thing as Christian and non-Christian music. We think we live in a world that is sacred and secular. Sacred meaning the things of God and secular meaning the things apart from God. Let me give you a little, little scoop. According to Psalm 24, it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yea, and all who dwell therein. There is no secular and sacred. It's all supposed to be sacred. But when we do a Cain and we do a Lamech and we try to take the culture or take something from God, we rob it from Him by trying to make it secular. But we think we're good because we wear Christian t-shirts and we listen to Christian music and we watch Christian movies. Christian movies? I've seen a few of those Christian movies. I don't care for them because nothing ever works out the way it works out in those movies in real life. The thing is, folks, we need to surrender to God and get on our knees and lift this culture up in prayer. Yes, it's a mess. Politically, we're fighting and, 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 and just shouting at each other. Racially, our country is divided. We're divided over a vaccine that should be, I mean, a, a pandemic and the vaccine that should be uniting us together. But instead, it's tearing us apart. And one of the most debauched people in the world who entertain us, 
We look to them to comfort us. We look to them to encourage us. And they're even now commenting on what's right and wrong for people, and people are listening to them. But when all this was going on millennia ago, when humanity was still fresh out of the factory, people got on their knees and called out to God. And so West Concord Baptist Church, through the month of August, I'm going to challenge you to look at the culture around you. Look at the people you look up to and idolize. Look at the, look at the world Because I'll guarantee if you look at it the way God sees it, it'll drive you to your knees. And instead of hating them, you know, we always think, well, it's us and them. No, it's not. Because understand this, God is for all of us. Them included. And God loves them as much as he loves us. And we need to get on our knees and pray first and foremost that you and I as individuals will be light and, and, and salt in this world. We need to pray that West Concord Baptist Church, despite a pandemic, despite political unrest, despite racial and cultural pandemonium, we need to be the lighthouse of truth, not throwing more coal on the fire. Amen. It's got to start right here. Just like in that day, this is where prayer began. How about this is where prayer continues? at West Concord Baptist Church, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Adam, Cain, Lamech messed this world up. Enosh, Seth, God's men, God's people, their families started to try to pick it up again, calling on the name of the Lord and also calling out the name of the Lord, sharing God's truth. As we finish this morning, Oswald Chambers said this. Because I, I, before I read this, understand, we get frustrated and scared, don't we? We look at the world around us and we say, and you have said it 100,000 times, what's this world coming to? Well, frankly, we know. Read the back of the book. But it is still frightening. We don't know what to believe. We don't know who to believe. Well, we need to run to Christ and the Word of God. We spent all week long at VBS looking at cultural and societal issues through the lens of Scripture. Seeking truth. But you're saying, man, I want to pray, but it's so overwhelming. Well, look what Oswald Chambers said. He says, we have to pray with our eyes on God, not on the difficulties. And that's not just for the culture, that's for our lives. Because all of us deal with difficulties, I do, and it's hard. This this is not easy. But we get so caught up in the waves of trouble, the lightning of tragedy, the the thunder of, of, of anger. Stuff happens to us, and I'm guilty of struggling with it just like you are. But through this study, I've tried to get myself into the place, and I'm still dealing with it, that I have to, no matter what happens, I just got to keep my eyes on God. Let him worry about the situation. That's what Martin Luther once said. He said, go ahead and pray and let God worry about it. But we pick it back up. I do, and I know you do. Oswald Chambers said, look, it's a mess out there, but we need to keep focused on God. That's why... Enosh's family and his generation, they called on and called out the name of God. 
D.L. Moody sums it up this way. He says, he who kneels the most stands the best. That sounds all trite and cliche, but it's true. In this world of shifting sands and blowing winds and storms, the more time we spend on our knees, the more time we're able to stand through it, no matter what it is. That's why West Concord, we've got to connect person to person with God. That's why you need to connect person to person with God. I leave you this morning with another quote from Scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says this to his, and the Thessalonians, we've been studying them on Wednesday night. They were struggling. They were having difficulty. And he leaves them with this in the fifth chapter. He says, rejoice always. That's hard. I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you that I'm good at that. I struggle. Rejoice always. And notice what he says, pray without ceasing. Well, how in the world do you do that? Most people can't even find 10 minutes a day to pray. How do you pray without ceasing? Well, it's kind of like breathing, somebody once told me. There are times when you are desperate to get on your knees and go before God, just like times when you're desperate to breathe. Maybe you're underwater and you need to get your breath, or maybe you've been in a medical procedure where you had to, had to hold your breath or your breath is taken away. And you're gasping and sucking air just to get every breath you can. That's kind of like those desperate times of prayer. And I believe we need those where we get on our knees and we cry out to God. But that's not the only time you breathe, is it? You and I walk around all day long and we breathe constantly. Because you know what happened if you didn't? You'd be dead. Somebody would have to come and give you mouth to mouth. And it ain't going to be me. I love you, but... You know, like if Aaron ever one time got sick and went down, here's how I'd give him mouth to mouth. I'd be standing above him. Love you, brother. I do. Your wife is a doctor. She'd come in and then you'll be all right. We breathe all the time. We need to be in an attitude of constant prayer. As we walk through life, surveying and experiencing and dealing and living, connected with God, pray without ceasing. In everything, giving thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When did prayer begin? When the human race began to show deterioration, violence, deviance. Folks, we're there. It's, it's been going on. So as we move through August, I want West Concord, I want us to set up a habitual, purposeful, intentional culture of prayer. Now, I'm not going to do any program. We're not going to have any sign up. We're not going to do, we're going to do something unusual and I'm going to unveil it as we move forward. But I know on the last Sunday of August, we are going to have a prayer event in this church that hopefully will not communicate our love of God just among ourselves, but our need for God in our community. Because I'm going to tell you, if we don't get on our knees, we will fall on our face. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.